0: Uh, uh, first of all, let me thank the committee for uh, asking me here. Uh, this is just so awesome. It's always awesome to be um, asked to come anywhere these days, and so I'm very, uh, very happy that you asked me. And uh, thank you to my, uh, uh, the guy that picked us up at the airport, John. Who um, I, I didn't really remember what he looked like because I was tired, and uh, but he introduced himself today, and then he brought back that familiarity. But. Um, just really really glad first time in San Diego and uh just really really glad to uh to be here and, and always glad to see friends and Jack and Larsine and you know uh just to be with my family because see the buck stops here for ANGP. I don't have anywhere to go this is it for me and uh I love alcoholics anonymous and uh and 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 I, I pray that when you see me that I look as if something good is going on in my life. And that would be Alcoholics Anonymous. One of the things that uh, I've worked on in my sobriety is my fear of talking in front of a bunch of white people. (laughs) And I was doing pretty darn good until tonight. (laughs) Thank you, San Diego, very much. I saw a couple of my brothers and sisters in here. There's a few of us in here. I see you. Power to the people. <laughs> power to the people. I am, uh, from Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, back home, somebody from Greenville? Beautiful. Oh, we're sisters. How you doing? Good to see you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and back home we lived, uh, in a little white house on a red clay road and we got our water out of wells and, uh. We took baths in steel tubs and we ate buttermilk and drank buttermilk and ate cornbread on a regular basis. And and the most fun that I had was picking black raspberries from trees. And I need to tell you, I don't do any of that today. None of it. I um. Uh, always had this little problem thing, you know, like we had an outhouse and that was somewhat confusing for me, uh, after seeing other people who had real, you know, commodes and, uh, stuff, but, um, I had flaming red hair and freckles growing up and nobody else in my family did. And, uh, imagine that. And, uh, my brother told me one day why I looked the way I did. And he told me it was because the, uh, the mailman was my daddy. So whenever I saw the mailman coming down the street, I'd be like, Daddy! (laughs) And I would run up to him, and uh, he would put his arms around me and tell me how cute I was, and uh, that turned out to be a pattern for me, actually. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. You just put your arms around me and pat me on my head, and... uh, Tell me how cute I am, and we, we'd be married within minutes, believe me. And then six months down the road, I'd be going, what's your last name again? Right. So, uh, yeah, so there's reasons why I don't drink. Uh, and that would be one. <laughs> We uh, stayed down south for a a little while, and then my dad got transferred uh, to Cincinnati, Ohio, and we came up to Cincinnati. And my father, in the process of traveling back and forth, he got himself a little girlfriend, so he moved up the hill with her, and that left my mother to raise my brother, my sister, and myself. And I need to tell you that when I got sober, my mother was my biggest problem. I truly believed that had she had just treated me the way she treated my brother and sister, I would not be in the predicament I'm in called alcoholism. And uh, one of the reasons why I tell you about my mother is because my mother is mentally ill, and my mother today does not believe in taking medication. And I have to be there for my mother in a way that I really didn't ever think possible. Because when we, for me anyway, uh, growing up it just... You never think that they're going to get there. And she's there. And when she has her episode, she's extremely abusive. And she's extremely abusive to me. But see, you guys taught me in AA how to love my mother for being the woman that she is and the path that she's had to travel. And although she is abusive, her abuse is not at me. I'm the one that's around, and I'm the one that's doing the deal. But in her moments of clarity, my mother said to me, she said, when you were born, Angela, when the nurse put you in my arms, she said, you're going to touch people's lives. And that would be true in my drinking (laughs) (laughs) and apparently in my sobriety. I love my mother. You taught me how to love my mother. And my mother is extremely grateful. She said to me, you know, the child that gave me the most darn problems is the one that I can count on today. And you guys gave me that. So my mother decided in her wisdom that she felt like uh, we needed to go to Catholic school. So I was a flaming red-haired, freckle-faced little black girl with an afro this big... (laughs) And uh, well, she never believed in, in cutting, so it just got big, you know, just just a walking hair. And, um,
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, she sent us to, to, to private schools. And my mother worked as a waitress to, uh, to send us to private schools. So I went to St. James of the Valley. And, uh, and it was an interesting uh, uh, task being there. And I got, you know, chased on a regular basis because I shared with you what I look like. And there weren't, I didn't even see a black person with red hair and freckles until I got into AA and I was so glad to see him. You know, I rolled up on him. I'm like, man, where you been? He left me all out here in the world by myself. Are you crazy? Give me a hug. And, uh, and, and so I got, I got chased a lot, picked on a lot in school. And one day this girl, squeaky, squeaky, was six foot four in like the fifth grade. <laughs> and she, she had a little posse that hung out with her and they, you know, beat people up and stuff. So one day they stepped out of the ordinary and they stoned me, you know, uh, threw rocks at me all the way home. And I remember I got in the house and I told my mother, I said, Mama, whew, I made it in the house. They was about to kill me out there, but I made it. And whenever my mother sounded like this, I knew that uh, we were going to have problems. She said, you know, Angela, at some point, you're going to have to learn how to take up for yourself, and I want you to go back out there, and I want you to stand up to Squeaky. I said, you want me to do what? <laughs> she said, I want you to go back out there, and you stand up to her. She said, or you can stay in here and get the butt whoop, and I'm going to give you. And I knew what those felt like, and I only knew what Squeaky's appeared to be. So I went out there, and she was standing in the parking lot, and I walked up to her, and I said, my mother said I'm supposed to fight you. And she said, well, come on then. so I, I balled my fist up. And I closed my eyes.
1: <laughs>
0: and I was squeezing them tight. I paid homage to the Lord. <laughs> and I swung. And I got it her right here. <laughs> Woo! It's on now. I hit her. (laughs) And she didn't budge. She just stood there looking at me. And I said, you get ready to kill me. And she she gave me the big beat down, but I got this thing called alcoholism that helps me remember what I should forget and forget what I should remember. And, uh, and so I I forgot that, you know, the big beat down. And so I remembered that I hit her. And from that point on, I became a boxer. And when I got sober, I people mess with me in AA. I say, hey, ha, watch what? Watch out now. You don't know who I am. I said on the streets of Cincinnati, they called me the knockout queen. Ha, ha, what? 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 Get a sponsor. What? Huh? <laughs> no, nah, Get a sponsor. I don't need a sponsor telling me what to do. I, she can give me the t-shirts because, you know, I played softball, and so they bought you t-shirts. Sponsors did. And, uh... So I began fighting, and when, when, you know, you know, I came to AA, and I was just really mean. And, uh, you know, wanted to fight everybody. And, you know, you work some steps, get a sponsor, and, you know, reading a book and stuff. You have to get honest. You know, and, and the reason why they called me the Knockout Queens, because every time somebody hit me, they knocked me clean out. So, you know... <laughs> No, but it, it worked for a while in Alcoholics Anonymous. But uh, so my mother got a good job. She started working for Avon, and uh, <laughs> she uh, <laughs> she uh, said that we were moving out of the ghetto. She moved us to an all-white neighborhood. So from the age of thirteen till about seventeen, I wasn't even black no more. I listened to Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. <laughs> My favorite girl group was Heart. <laughs> Thank you very much. First concert I ever went to was Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I was at the Ted Nugent Foreigner Concert. And Foreigner was singing, feels like the first time. They were singing, I have waited a lifetime. And I'm the only black person in there going, whee! And I looked around that whole Coliseum, I didn't see one black person. I said, man, I am bad. I'm the only one in here, And I hung out with these five girls, these five white girls. Man, they could do anything in front of their parents. Their parents said, Rebecca, (laughs) Rebecca, honey, if you're going to drink, we would really appreciate it as your parents if you would do it at home. And uh, we really don't want to see anything happen to you. And we feel that should you do it at home, we will know where you are most of the time. I said, you could to drink at home with your parents. I remember I went home to my mother. I said, would you drink with me? And then, you know, after I got up off the floor, I was like. <laughs> so I hung out with these girls. They could do. I thought, I mean, you know, they drank her family, everybody drank together. They communicated. They hugged and cried. And I thought. This is one of the closest families I've ever met. And I hung out with these girls for quite some time. And uh, like I said, we lived in an all-white neighborhood, and and Rebecca was the one that gave me my first drink. She had come over to my house, and uh, she had a brown bag with bottles in it, and she gave me a bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine. Oh, that's a shame. That is a shame that everywhere I go and speak, I say Boone's Farm, and people are like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Ooh, Boone's Farm. You know, I don't, that don't happen when I talk at church. You know what I mean? When I tell them at church that I drank Boone's Farm, they go, wow, yeah, Boone's Farm. But no, hey, hey, woo can't explain it. <laughs> I can't explain it. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, beautiful. So I get my first drink. I drink the Rebecca said that her brother had schooled her in the art of chugging. And um, she said, you turn the bottle up and you drink as long as you can. You don't, you just drink, drink, drink. And I did. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that what happened to me did not happen to Rebecca. My hair color changed right before my very eyes. (laughs) The freckles that I had on my face left one by one. They left. I gave them to you. I was funny. Rebecca and I had a fight. She beat me up. But I knew without a shadow of a doubt that when I drank that night with Rebecca, that I was going to do that every opportunity that I got. I wasn't somebody who drank alcohol and, you know, went to college and, you know, did all that stuff. That's not how I drank. Alcohol became my master from the very first drink. I wanted it and I chased it and I did it and I couldn't believe that people didn't do it. I remember telling my brother and sister, just drunk, telling them, you don't know what you're missing. (laughs) (laughs) And my brother's like, hmm, you don't go to school. You don't work. You do nothing but drink. Yeah, yeah, I know what I'm missing. (laughs) I know what I'm missing. And that was my deal. I drank, and, and you know I don't mean any disrespect to anybody. You know, it's I'm gonna mention drugs. I know I'm gonna mention it, and and if you have a problem with it, well, who asked me to talk here? <laughs> Whoever asked me to talk here, yeah. What's your name? Mike. Go see him. <laughs> Do not come to me because. I I will hurt your feelings, so please go to Mike. He'll probably a lot more gentler. You don't have to, old timers. You can't
1: talk about drugs from the podium. Never, ever.
0: Sometimes I just go up to an old timer and go crack. Walk up beside him. Heroin. <laughs> but you know, I, you know, I had to get to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got here how I got here. And it's my story, and it was my journey. And I tried a little acid; it got me a mental health diagnosis. <laughs> so I couldn't, uh, you know, deal with that. Uh, kept waking up, you know, straight jackets and you know, and, and and you know, and and I had my first girlfriends told me one night we were going out and they said, you know, we want you to, here's one of these little pills. Take one. It'll make your world colorful. (laughs) And, uh, and I took it. Well, I took two of them (laughs) and uh, my night was real colorful and, uh, (laughs) right. They wanted to go get something to eat. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this strawberry mess thing and I'm starting to trip and, and they want to go get something to eat. And so we pull into McDonald's and (laughs) so we pull into mcdonald's and you know we pull up to this little box and whoa (laughs) you know (laughs) what the heck and how did they get his little butt in there you know what i'm saying (laughs) and so he asked me you know what do you want what no what do you want what do you want So I'm hollering at him. We're arguing, me and this little man. I'm waiting for him to come out. I want him to come out because I know I can beat him. I know I can whoop him up because he's not but this big. Do you understand what I'm saying? And as I argue with this man at the drive-thru, keep asking me my business. What do I want? You know. So they order from the back seat and uh, get up in the front. And now they're going to try to push bags all in my face. So I'm pushing them back in. You know what I mean? What's wrong with you? Crazy. Why would I want bags? And I'm on acid, so, you know, his face is turning in odd ways. And and I'm hot, angry. And then I get real happy. Because the sky is blue all of a sudden. I tell him I love him. Thank him for being so giving. <laughs> and, you know, naturally they called the police. And uh, the police came, and it was a mess, and I got arrested. And, you know, police asked me my name, and I told them it was R2-D2. And, yeah, and they didn't take too lightly to that. So I, you know, did my first stint in jail um, and then to the mental institution. Um, and, and so I don't, you know I, I, you know, I don't do drugs. I don't, I don't like drugs. They, they get me, you know, therapists and psychs and stuff. So I'm hanging out with these girls and I'm drinking and I ain't going to school. And, you know, I've been singing since I was three. So if there was a, mu- a musical or something, I would go and I would audition for that. And they would say things to me like, Angie, you got so much potential. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. <laughs> you got so much potential. But me being a singer, I always believed that there was some man in a suit walking around with a contract from Epic Records, in his back pocket. And the moment that he heard me, he was going to go, oh my God, nobody signed you yet? I waited for that. I dreamt about it, and it happened. I was working at a recording studio. My dad got me a part-time job there, and uh I was singing in the bathroom. You know how the acoustics are. And I was putting on my best show. Steps and everything. This old heart of mine I all the time, time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I step out there and there's this man in a suit. Yes, sir. Tall man, fine man. He said, I just heard you sing. I believe I can make you famous. I said, for real? He said, yeah, but you gotta come to Vegas. No problem. Now I'm underage. I go back home and I tell my family, I will come back for you. (laughs) As soon as I make my money, you shall come with me. My father father kept things real simple. He just said, something is wrong with you. Go through anything, but he just said something is wrong with you. My mother said, Angie, please don't go. Don't do this. My little sister said, don't go. But I went, you see, because he was going to make me famous. Not knowing that I had alcoholism, but I drank. Man, I got to Las Vegas and I lost my mind. I was singing and a young girl making a lot of money and hanging out with big people and drinking. And now I got this thing happening. I I don't know if you guys know anything about this, but this thing started happening. I began to not remember what I did the night before. I know you guys haven't experienced that in San Diego, but I didn't know that that was called a blackout until I came to AA. I thought that if you drank and you didn't remember what you did, you had a real good time, <laughs> you know there I didn't really I knew that there was something a little wrong with it, but I thought, man you-, you I had a good time, I didn't remember, you know, and just the whole waking up with you know who with toothless guys named Zeb, you know what I mean, going, but you told me you love me so much, say yes ever. And as soon as I figure out what you doing in here, <laughs> I'm leaving Las Vegas. And, uh, and I started having this blackout thing and, uh, I'm with this gentleman. I know nothing about him. And, uh, he had a heroin problem that I knew absolutely nothing about. And I had a drinking problem that he knew nothing about and together did not mix. And he's shooting heroin intravenously and I'm drinking alcohol as much as I can, as long as I can, and as hard as I can. And they begin to not want to hire me in Las Vegas because then it was not legal to sing feelings with your shirt off. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, feelings, waving it. You know what I mean? So they said, no, we don't think we're going to hire you anymore. And, uh, and, uh, my gentleman friend introduced me to, uh, shooting heroin intravenously and, uh, and my life was, um, not good. And I couldn't work and I drank and I drank and I drank. And you know, what's interesting is that he came to me one day and he said, come on, I need to go in the store and get some cigarettes. And, uh, he goes into the store and he shoots the owner. And he comes back out to the car and he has blood, all of them, and he tells me to go. And so I went, you see. Some people that drink or some people that I sponsor have a tendency to tell me like they know what's going to happen if they drink again. See, you couldn't have told me that when I took a drink at the age of 13 that I would shortly thereafter be on trial for murder. You couldn't have told me that. And it seemed like to me that what happened was in my mind I always had that picture of me and Rebecca in in my mother's backyard drinking at Boone's Farm. Happy-go-lucky. And it seems like shortly thereafter I was on trial with prosecutors and the family members telling me what type of person I was. Listening to children talk about how I had taken Somebody from it. I will tell you that this gentleman is still in jail to this day. And I'm at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I got put out of Las Vegas. The governor put me out. He said, you got to go. He gave me this thing called a floater. And I'll interpret it for you. It said, as long as you black and you won't change colors... Do not ever bring your butt to Las Vegas again. And I just have not, you know, really found it necessary to go back for any reason. (laughs) I don't even watch a TV show about Las Vegas. I'm scared they're looking, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I came home from Las Vegas and I said to myself, okay, that's it. I'm going to get my act together. And I got back home to Cincinnati and it lasted all of three weeks. You see, I didn't know that I could not not drink. I didn't know that I could not put it down, even though I said I wasn't going to do it anymore. See, I didn't know that I was powerless over alcohol and that it dictated and managed my life. I didn't know that. See, to the untrained eye, because I don't know about you, but I told my mother when I came back, I'm not going to drink anymore, mama. I'm not going to drink anymore, daddy. I told him. But see, to the untrained eye, we appear liars. We appear liars. See, I don't really beat up on people that drink again, because every time I said I wasn't going to drink, I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I just didn't know that I was powerless over alcohol and that it dictated and managed my life. But I meant it. And in Cincinnati, a long time ago, you could get on the city bus and ride it all over the city for free. It was called Sunday Pass riding. And one day my brother and sister and myself were on the bus and we went all over the place. And then we got to downtown in the inner city. And we got to a corner called Liberty and Vine. And it's where all the pimps And the prostitutes hung out and they had Lincolns and Cadillacs and they were playing shaft on their little eight tracks. And and I remember my brother looked over there and he said, boy, you couldn't pay me to go over there. And my little sister said, shoot, me neither. And I remember thinking, I'm going over there tomorrow. (laughs) And I started riding the number 20 bus downtown Cincinnati on a regular basis. And I hung out in the worst of bars and I drank with the best. And I drank really clueless to what that lifestyle was about. So I had friends, no neck, greasy feet, Tied idols were my friends' names. I remember I wanted to bring them over to my father to introduce them. And I said, come on, y'all, let's go. I want y'all to meet my father. And my father saw him. And you know what he said to me? Something is wrong with you. <laughs> he said, don't you let them people sit on my furniture. My friends. Man, I felt comfortable with my friends. Couldn't have told you their last name. But I felt comfortable with them. They drank. ain't do nothing but commit crimes. And I was right there with them. And every time I got arrested, it wasn't because I really did anything. See, when I came to A, I told him, hey, (laughs) I was a hustler out there. No, I wasn't. I usually got arrested because I was in the way. And I'm the type of drunk that I woke up at the holding cell, never really quite remembering what I did. When they asked me to talk at the international, they said, we need you to go and get your records. I said, oh, great because it's a big stack. I said, you sure you want me to get my records? They said, yeah, because you'll have to be allowed to come into the country. Allowed? All righty. So I went to the courthouse and they said, you got to go downstairs in the archives. The archives? So I went down there and I started pulling my stuff up. I'm a blackout drinker, y'all. And I'll tell you what, when I read The stuff that was in there, man, it hurt my feelings. It hurt my feelings. More so because they said that I had taken money and I don't ever remember getting any money. (laughs) The people that I was with got money, but I don't remember getting any money. I remember doing the time, but I don't remember getting the money. And I went and got those papers, and I was sitting in my living room, and I was filling these papers out. And, man, I was just crying, you see. And I'm crying because it's a sad day when I got to send these to the the Canadian consulate, and they ask you questions like, why did you do this? And and I just wanted to put, I don't know. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm filling this out and you, you know, why should we let you in our country? Well, why not? (laughs) What will you be doing in our country? Staying sober. You better hope everybody else in that country stays sober that weekend too. Because I don't think Canada's ready for 56,000 alcoholics to take a drink. (laughs) No, they ain't ready for that. And they asked me, when they asked me to, to speak at the international, I wasn't even going to the international. I couldn't afford it. So I wasn't even going. So when he called me, he goes, yes, this is so-and-so from uh, World Services in New York. I was like, oh, Lord, now, did I say something at a meeting? <laughs> I mean, y'all serious about this stuff, ain't you? You got the president of this thing calling me? You know, because I say some crazy stuff. He goes, oh, we uh just heard your CD. They sent it to us from Las Vegas.
1: <laughs>
0: we'd, we'd like to know if you'd be interested in speaking, uh, being a kickoff speaker at the International. I said, man, who is this playing on my phone? I thought it was one of my friends. I said, man, quit playing. I ought to hang up on you, man. And he goes, uh, uh, no, ma'am my name is so-and-so from World. So I said let me go check this caller ID so it said New York I was like oh man that is messed up what I just did how you doing
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah. how you doing buddy you say you want me to come and talk still do you but here's an amazing thing the moment that I said yes to him doors opened for me to go to the international I couldn't afford it. But the moment that I said yes, things began to happen. And I went there, man, and I remember I stepped out there. 56,000 white people. (laughs) 56,000 and probably three blacks. And I was one of them. And I remember I looked at all these white people and I thought to myself, I am bad. (laughs) What? So anyway, let me get back to my darn story. Where was I at? Larsine, where was I? Oh, you ain't listening. You just look, you just overwhelmed by my beauty, aren't you? (laughs) Thank you very much. So I'm hanging out with my friends, Greasy Feet and all them, and they teaching me stuff, you know. My friends taught me how to write other people's checks and roll up clothes and put on a girdle and go into department stores and stuff them as big as I can. And come out. But when I went to prison, I never ever saw my friends again. But let me tell you, I got arrested for receiving stolen property. And I had to take a physical when I got to the jail and I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) Everybody's like, oh. I was pregnant with my son. And I could tell you that I got sentenced to prison with a baby inside of me, and the only thing that kept me from losing my mind was my baby. And I rubbed my baby's stomach on a regular basis, and I said, I'm going to get my act together, and I'm going to be a mother. And I meant that from the bottom of my heart. But see, I got this thing called alcoholism that's even more powerful than the love that I feel for my children. What a powerful thing. As much as I love them, I couldn't stop. And I had my son in prison. And my family came and got my son and they didn't stop to see me. They came and they got it. And I remember like it was to, like yesterday, he had on a little, a little blue hat and he was in this little blue snap up thing And I'm looking through this little hole at them leaving with my baby. And I said, I'm gonna get my act together. When I get out of here, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna do what I gotta do so I can be a mother. And I meant that from the bottom of my heart. Anybody got any Kleenex? I don't want to get electrocuted up here or anything. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Now, what the hell I'm gonna do with this? How <laughs> hey, you gonna bring me a Kleenex for a damn midget? You say I'm emotional up here? <laughs> this is serious, buddy. <laughs> don't we have big fun it says we aren't a glum lot but that was, that was funny I didn't mean to get you but that was this shit right here don't do that again man thank you are you Al-Anon thank you so much my love It's all in fun. Don't be resentful. We have a tool for that. So uh, I get out of prison, and when I get out of prison, my, my son is four. And all the way down the highway on 71 North to Cincinnati, I said, I can't wait to see my baby. I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see my baby. And I get to the bus station and suddenly it talks about it. If you're new in the room, it talks about it and more about alcoholism. It says suddenly the thought crossed his mind that he could put some milk in his whiskey. He sensed he wasn't being a bit too smart. That's what happened to me. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that I had been in prison for four years and that surely one drink won't hurt. And the next time I saw my son, he was 10. You see, I don't struggle too much with the powerful, the the, the being powerless over alcohol thing. Because see, as I loved my son and I wanted to get to him. But that drink, man, I had to have that drink, you see. And there was no logical explanation for why I couldn't make it home to see my son. See, I dr I could how do you explain that to your family? I got drunk. My mother said, Your ass been drunk for six years? Yeah. Yeah. And I ended up going to prison again because that's what I did. I drank. I went to prison. I had a child. I came out. I got pregnant. I went in again. And I lost that baby. And I had another child. My daughter. Her name is Whitney. And I gave them away like they were a pair of jeans. I had to drink. And see, I can come here and you guys understand that. You understand that. You understand my drinking as opposed to taking care of my children. You understand that. I need to tell you that I'm very active in my church. They don't understand that. They don't understand that. Why didn't you? How come? Why didn't you just stop? Nancy Reagan said, just say no. (laughs) I said, you ever seen Nancy Reagan with a shot of Jack? But you understand, you get me. You get me. My own family doesn't get me. But you guys get me. My father said, boy, I tell you what, I don't know what kind of organization that is that you're in, but why y'all got to keep going to meeting 30, 40, 110 years? Ain't you got it yet? You can't drink. <laughs> my father said, I, I just put it down. That's what my daddy told me. Just like that. Put it down said I wasn't going to do it and I didn't do it and I loved my top hat beer top hat oh I see why you quit because that ain't beer (laughs) right but you guys get me you get me and I came out and I went to get my daughter up in another state and when I got sober that martyr part of me Said I gave her up because I wanted her to have a better life. That's not why I gave my children up. I gave my children up because they got in the way. They got in the way. And that was a hard pill to swallow for me. They got in the way. My daughter is now 19. She's in college. Grambling State University in Louisiana. Dating a white guy. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) My son's 24. He thinks he's a rapper. And it'd be different if he could rap. (laughs) Yo, yo, mama, yo, 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 mama. Mama, yo, yo, mama, mama, you see, I know I mean, no, baby, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what you mean, Mm-mm. no, I don't know what you mean, but when I'm gonna get famous, I'm gonna buy you a house, mama, I said, well, until then, could you get a damn job, because it's not working for you, buddy, they're good kids, good kids. Not because of me. Good kids. So I got out of jail the last time and I said, you know what? I can't do this no more. And I was living down on the the banks of Cincinnati in a a, a home for wayward women. And we drinking up a storm in there. (laughs) Me and my wayward friends. (laughs) And we're drinking and, you know, just drinking, just wild Irish rose, you know, just some wine that ain't never had a grape near it, you know? (laughs) And they call it wine. And I remember we would drink it with our little fingers out. What the? A brown bag with your finger out. I mean, (laughs) still somewhat sophisticated yet homeless. (laughs) Yeah. And one day I was, uh, uptown and drinking and uh, shot some dope and somebody shot ice water into my veins. And uh, I walked from that bar as sick as a dog and I got to that front door. See, I'm a believer in angels. I really truly am. And I get down to this place where I'm living at and there's a little blonde haired woman standing there and she looked at me when I got to the door and she said, you don't have to keep living that way she took me up to my room and she put a rag on my head and she began to tell me about her drinking. And she asked me if I would go someplace with her. And at that moment, in that moment I would have went anywhere with anybody. And she took me to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And in Cincinnati, Ohio, when I first, when I got sober, it wasn't a lot of uh, African American, you know, quite like right now. It wasn't a lot of African American people in AA. And, uh, and so she took me in, and, and, I, and I, now this is just coming from, this is how I saw it. When we pulled up in front of this building, it was about 3,000 Harleys parked in the front. Everybody had a white cup, and I said, well, this is going to be one hell of a party right here. And I walk up the steps, and people are going, welcome, welcome. And then I get to the steps, and this big biker dude grabs me, puts his arms around me, and picks me up and goes, welcome to AA, and he's got me. I said, man, if you don't put me down and why they name your big butt squirrel. And she said, let's go in here. Somebody's going to tell their story. And I went into that big meeting room and I sat down and this gentleman got up and began to tell his story. Said he had slept under a bridge. I was appalled. I said, you did what? I beat my wife. I said, man, this is some crazy stuff right here. Oh, Whoa. And then everybody busts out laughing. <laughs> I said, man, these white people crazy for sure. <laughs> and then after it was over, they stood up and clapped for it. Now you're clapping for it. And then they grabbed hands. God. I said, oh, they are hypocrites up in here. Hypocrites. I saw a black woman at the coffee bar. I ran into her. I said, girl, what is up? These white folks Crazy. She said, oh, just keep coming back. I said, oh, they got you? (laughs) Run! Come with me! She said, you keep coming back. I said, what does that mean? (laughs) And I stayed around AA for a little while. It wasn't like I had a little, you know, a huge social schedule or anything. So I stayed around AA and, you know, went to meetings. I was, you know angry belligerent militant everything was cause I was black I'd order coffee at the coffee bar if I didn't get it right away I said it's cause I'm black ain't it (laughs) that's why I can't get my coffee when I ask for it I'm black and I want a cup of black coffee (laughs) oh I see yeah there was a girl sharing at a meeting one night, and she goes, You know, <laughs> 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 she said, When I first came into AA, <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't like black people. <laughs> But now through the fellowship of AA and sponsorship, I do. (laughs) And I'm in the one in the meeting to stand up. Well, good, because we ain't going nowhere. Bye to the people. We're here for the long haul. My sponsor would just go, sit down. Sit down. I say, well, come on now. We got to keep it real up in here. Okay? Want to hear that? Before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous... (laughs) really did not too much care for white people but now by the grace of God I do what the heck is that about you know I felt like I should have ran up there and went thank you miss thank you so much for liking black people now cause we's missed you we's missed you so much freedom we got another one so I stayed around AA for a little while you know I'm crazy got me a sponsor white woman of course she's from England and she was very you know my sponsor I love her I've had the same sponsor for almost 15 years I love my sponsor she you know we grew up together she didn't particularly like black people and I didn't really like anybody so (laughs) we were quite the match and I was steady hollering about how I was, everything and the injustice done to my people. My people pick cotton. My sponsor goes, you don't even wear cotton underwear. <laughs> I said, oh, that was a good word. Yeah. Look like I'm going to have to be looking for me a new sponsor here soon. <laughs> but she called me on it. You know what I mean? She wasn't afraid of me. I said, hey, I will beat you up. She goes, I know. (laughs) You're so scary. I said, I have hurt people. She goes, no, you have hurt yourself. I was like, I did, didn't I? I have hurt myself, haven't I? Oh, my gosh. So they started coming in AA with this little crack problem. I know y'all ain't got crack in San Diego. It's too pretty. So they start coming in AA with this little crack problem. I said, what the hell is crack? And why do all of y'all weigh the same thing? Do y'all get together outside and go, you weigh 60 pounds? You weigh 60 pounds? Let's go. (laughs) But see, I wasn't having it. See, this is AA. We deal with alcohol. Be coming up here with no crack stuff. Sit over there. (laughs) Don't say anything to anybody, and I'll be your sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) So I sponsored them. And I was mean. I was mean. But here's, I'm telling you this to tell you this. What I've learned in AA is that anytime I stand in judgment of some person, place, thing, or situation that I probably just wrote my meal ticket to experience it on some level. So one day I'm at a meeting, like the book say, wasn't a cloud on the horizon, where I, being the martyr I am, said I no longer need to stay here and keep this seat. I needed to give it to somebody who needs it. And I figured since I've been coming around AA telling y'all that I was here, that surely you would want to know if I was leaving. So I went to the Wednesday night, 8.30 meeting. They asked if there was any AA-related announcements.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I said, yeah, look here, uh, people. I'm going to roll on up out of here. Thank you very much for that thick book you gave me and, uh, you know, the coffee and quit smoking. And I'm going to roll on up out of here. But you know how those sensitive old-timers are. He said, well, get out of here then people trying to stay sober in here. And you're up here talking about your department. Get out of here. I was like oh man old timer. You've been sober for a long time ain't you? You angry aren't you? It's okay. You can have a drink if you want to. (laughs) And I left. And I grabbed a book and I decided see because you guys were talking about God was using you as instruments. I said you know what? I think God uses me as instruments too and he want me to go find black people and bring them into AA. So I left that AA meeting and I got on the number 43 bus going downtown Cincinnati and I got on and a brother got on and he was staggering a little bit. I said, bingo. <laughs> I slid over next to him with my book. I said, look here, brother. You been drinking? He said, yeah, I had a little something, something. I said, check this out you might be an alcoholic. He said, I ain't no alcoholic. So he started going off on the bus. I said, you know, the people in the double A club told me that you would probably react like this to my information. So therefore, I will have to give it to you like this. And I opened it up to chapter five and I stood up in the middle of the bus. I said, Really? Did you hear what I said? I said, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who not <laughs> are constitutionally incapable. And the bus driver said, oh, hell no. <laughs> so he pulled over and you know, kicked me off the bus. I told him he was an alcoholic too. And... <laughs> and I went down to the bar downtown Cincinnati where I knew there was some black alcoholics. And I walked in the bar with my big book, My Safety Net. And I go and they dancing in the bar. Can you believe it? Dancing. Having a good time acting like it. But I knew, see, because I'm from the double A club. I know you ain't really having fun. you just acting like you're having fun. See what I'm saying? So I pulled the plug out the jukebox. <laughs> I said, listen here, black alcoholics. They got a place for you. It's called the double A club. You too can stop drinking. They said, well, what you doing down here? I said, well, I graduated. (laughs) I graduated with honors, which is why I come to you now with my information. They said, girl, if you don't plug that jukebox back in, we will kill you in here. (laughs) I said, oh, you know, those people at the AA club told me you probably react like this to my information, so I need to give it to you the way that I'm used to giving it to you. Rarely have we seen a person fail who is thoroughly followed. They say, oh no, you gotta go. But then suddenly the thought crossed my mind. I know there's surely one drink. I ain't go down there to drink, I went down there to help people. But suddenly the thought crossed my mind. I told the bartender, give me a shot of gin she gave me a shot of gin and 45 minutes later I was in a crack house I don't do crack well that's for them but I'm gonna tell you something I'm an alcoholic ain't no doubt in my mind but that damn crack whoo man I got some serious respect for that stuff it got me back to AA so fast my feet got here before my body did <laughs> I walked back into AA like that whoo my eyes were big, like where's my sponsor find her for me help me and then I was part of that club where we checked in our weight before we came in and I was dirty and I was nasty and I hadn't slept my hair hadn't been combed in about three weeks and I was pitiful And every single thing that you told me was going to happen, happened. So you told me that it would get worse, never better. And I came back in and I was nasty. And this old timer, when I came into the coffee bar, that same old timer that said that to me when I left that meeting, was there in the coffee bar. And you know how sensitive old timers are. (laughs) He saw me and he said, damn. gonna die and I said you know what I am gonna die show me what I need to do and he gave me a book and he said I want you to go out to that front door and I want you to reach your hand out and I want you to introduce your people self to people and tell them that you're alcoholic and I said but I'm stink I'm nasty he said do it anyway and I stood at that door and several people shook my hand and a whole lot of people walk past me. I think we got to be real careful in this deal. Because I didn't read anywhere in the traditions where there was a dress code. And those people that we kicked to the side could be your next damn speaker. I wasn't crazy. I was alcoholic. And from that day forward, things changed for me. See, I opened up that big book the first time I saw it, and I read it, and I read this line, and it said, here lies a Hampshire Grenadier. Me being the black woman that I answered, what the hell is a Hampshire Grenadier? I said, turn the page, white people's stuff. White people, white people's stuff. Yeah, white people, oh, look, no, no. What, personal house cleaning? no. But when I came back, June the 20th, 1991, it looked real familiar. Because for the first time in a long time, I had awakened to the possibility that I could get sober, and I could stay sober. So my sponsor and these five little happy women, she hung out with, them just like. <laughs> have a place to live. I had the same clothes on for three weeks. What do you, what's funny? Huh? And they would ask me if I wanted to go eat and you know what I would say to them? I would be hungry and you know what I would say though? No. No thank you, I don't want to go. But I wanted to go. But y'all didn't want to be around somebody like me now, did you? And my sponsor, them women, took me under their wings, and they introduced me to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I worked the steps with my sponsor, and I love my sponsor. <laughs> she crazy. I wish she could have came. Y'all would love my sponsor, cause she keeps things real simple. She said, "I want you to start taking a look at you, Angie, and quit looking at everybody else." I began to go to conferences. I told my sponsor since she was white that I needed to school her on some things, you know, being civil rights and all that stuff. And she said, well, I tell you what you find in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, where it says that I can't sponsor you because you're black. I said, I sure will <laughs> start reading the book. And that's how they get your newcomers. They asked you to find something in the book that they know ain't there. <laughs> but I read the book. And as I read the book searching, things started sticking out. And thank God my sponsor didn't say to me, now when you're ready to do your fourth step, come and see me. No. No, no, no. I'm old school. This is when you'll have it done. You have it done this day and we'll do it this day. All right. And I share some stuff with my sponsor. And see, the skies didn't part or anything like that. But what it talks about, it says in the book, at the end of chapter five, that you will have digested some chunks of truth about yourself. That's what happened to me. So it ain't everybody else's fault. You mean I've been mad at my mother all these years, not because of the way that she was, but the way that I perceived her to be. I lost out on time in my relationships because of what I perceived to be happening, which was not reality. It wasn't reality. I feel so extremely blessed that y'all let me come here And that you didn't judge me, some of you. And that you saw my willingness to stay sober one day at a time. And things begin to happen. I begin to work. I worked a job. I didn't work a job. Y'all had to tell me that just because my boss say I got to work late don't mean that I can get him in a headlock. (laughs) Y'all had to teach me that. Because he needed to know I can't work late tonight. I got to go to my home group. Tell me no, which, you know, I ended up getting fired from there, but it's another story. And then I worked at a, a, a little pharmacy store for 15 minutes because they had, a, it was this money piling up in this drawer and it was just getting more. And in my mind, I thought, you know what? I could snatch this drawer, run out the door, jump in my car, go to the airport, go to Tijuana. They'll never know. And it was probably about, I don't know, maybe $150. You know, which, which would have got me, you know, my bond. And so I just started doing what my sponsor told me to do. And weeks turned into months. Man, months turned into years. And I remember at two years sober sitting in my own place, I'd never had my own apartment because I thought it was cheaper to live with you. <laughs> Why should I pay rent if you're paying it? Nah. Why should I work? I'll sing for a living. No, that ain't gonna happen. My sponsor taught me that if I have a dress on, I should have my legs closed. Because see, I was not a lady when I got to AA, but I'm quite the lady now, don't you think? Don't you agree? Whatever. You're family. You'll tell me anything. <laughs> and I began to smile and I began to laugh at Alcoholics Anonymous. Man. Then, I went to school. I had a GED, but I had made it in prison. And my sponsor told me I could not use that fake GED. I made it in print shop. (laughs) My boss had it in my personnel file. But one day I was at a meeting and a girl was talking about going to college. And I said, you know what? I think I want to go to college. Then God said to me, not with that fake GED you going to college. And I told my sponsor about my fake GED and she told me I had to go tell my boss. And you just didn't know my boss. And I went into him and I said, Roger, my GED that's in my file is fake. And he said, How, what do you mean it's fake? Gets it out of my file. He said, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> he said, but you got to have a high school education to work here, dear. I said, you going to fire me. He said, I'm going to give you six months to get it. And so one day I was sitting and watching TV and this woman said, get your high school diploma on TV. I said, well, dad, go right there. (laughs) So I called them and they start sending me books and I have to take the test and send the test back. And when I passed that test, they'd send me another one. And I took all the tests and then I went and signed up for the GED and I got a perfect score. not be a big deal to you, but man, it was a big deal to me. And I took that GED that Monday morning and I said, I'm going to college. And I ran to the admissions office to the University of Cincinnati and I said, I want to go to college. They said, well, ma'am, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. That's your job. and I enrolled in the University of Cincinnati. And uh, been on the Dean's List since I've been there. I sit in front like y'all told me to. And y'all told me that the only stupid question is the one that I don't ask. And I'm studying and I'm studying. I didn't think I could do it. I'm getting ready to graduate. (laughs) If you're new in the room and you're looking at me and you're saying, this is bull, you're in the right place. (laughs) If you're in the room and you're looking at me and you're saying, That's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Not in here. My sponsor told me that the sky is the limit. That you were asleep for a while, but now you're awake. And now that you are awake and aware, responsibility comes. I wanted desperately when I was out in the streets to just be a productive member of society, I wanted to go to work and take care of my family and take care of my kids, but I couldn't do it. You guys taught me that—that that I can't be happy, joyous, and free, and that when people look at me today, the first thing that comes—that doesn't come out of their mouth—is that she's an alcoholic. Today, I walk the streets of Cincinnati with my head held high. You taught me that I am somebody. I just got this thing called alcoholism. And one day at a time, through working the steps and incorporating the traditions into my life, I can be a happy individual. Thank God. I'm really, really, really glad that you guys asked me to come here. I've never been to San Diego. And when I woke up this morning and I looked out that window and I saw the trees, and I saw the, the water. See, there's something y'all get to see every day. It ain't something I got to see. It's a big deal to me. It's a big deal to me. You live with it every day. It's beautiful to me. Thank God. I will be eternally grateful. Eternally grateful. I'm going to do something. I don't do too often, but I feel it this evening if you don't mind. There was a song that my grandmother liked. And I will be forever grateful for the fact that my grandmother hummed this song. I hope you like it. Amazing grace, how sweet the, the sound that saved a, a wretch
1: like me I
0: once was lost but i'm i'm fine and i was blind but
1: now
0: i i see god bless